Hi, my name is Becky Freeman, and I'm today speaking with Professor Robert Jackler, who has done a really interesting piece of work with colleagues、um, from Stanford University about Juul and other stealth vaporizers hiding the habit from parents and teachers. Welcome to the Tobacco Control Podcast, Robert. Thank you, Becky. It's good to be here. Now, before we get into the, sort of the nuts and bolts of your paper. Can you tell us what Juul is? What is this product? We keep hearing a lot about it, obviously, in the press. But what exactly is it? So Juul was introduced into the United States market in June 2015, and initially the company used very youth-oriented marketing. For example, in Times Square in New York, there were giant digital billboards showing young models jumping up and down, energetically using Juul with bright colors. What happened was, although the company says Juul is meant for adult smokers and that their goal is to quote save a billion smokers around the world and make their lives better, it was in fact rapidly adopted by American teenagers. Surveys show that there are large numbers、um, and ever increasing numbers of high school and middle school students in America that are using Juul. Juul has been an enormous commercial success. In just over three years since the time it launched, it's garnered over 72% of the United States market by Nielsen survey in convenience stores and gas stations and the likes, and it has developed from a startup with a very small value up to 16 billion dollars of U.S. valuation as a private company after a series of investors. So. We're very concerned because Juul has exceptionally high nicotine, five percent by weight, which is very potently addictive, and the public health community in America is very concerned that we're addicting a generation of young people, and many of them over time may graduate over to combustible devices. Absolutely, that's a phenomenal. I mean, from a purely business point of view, you almost have to applaud their phenomenal success. Of course, from a public health point of view, it's.、Um, Incredibly alarming. Now, what makes Juul unique from other e-cigarettes、um, is that it's so small and discreet.、Uh, doesn't produce these big vapor clouds like you see from the, you know, the third-generation modified devices. The purpose of your study then was to look at these sort of stealthier、um, products, I suppose, like Juul, that are small, discreet, and been so heavily marketed to youth. So, what was the goal of your study, and what did you go about to do? Well, we started about wanting to ask ourselves, what is different about Juul? Why was it so very successful amongst young people and taking over the market and greatly expanding youth use? And we looked at a number of attributes of the product: its sweet and fruity flavors, particularly mango and creme brulee and fruit medley,、um, the fact that it、um, came in pods that could be.、Um, Uh, readily used and were relatively inexpensive compared with、um, smoking, for example. But then, when we came down to it, we looked at social media, and we looked at postings by young people on various social media platforms such as YouTube, and it became pretty clear that a very major part of Juul's success was it's so stealthy, so inconspicuous. It resembles a USB flash drive, and you know our、um, Sense about what makes something stealthy. Answered the following question: Could it be left on a teenager's bedside table, and a parent would see it 
and not know what it is. And sure enough, most parents and teachers looked at Juul and just thought it was an innocent USB memory stick. Uh, the other thing is it's so very small that it fits within a clasped hand. It can be put into your pocket. And even the exhaled vapor is rather subtle. And we found many YouTube videos of teenagers showing how they could exhale the vapor, for example, down their shirt, down their sleeve, into a backpack, in a way that it wouldn't be detected by a teacher in school, for example. That's so interesting, because I, I guess we've also had studies on the flip side, where vaping is all about producing the biggest cloud that you can, cloud chasing. And I guess those are more for, you know, out and proud vapors, but we've got this specialty product now for teenagers. So you're looking at social media, and my understanding is that you um, did some, essentially a keyword search on YouTube just to get a sense of, you know, what's out there, what are these sort of devices, you know, how are they being sold to kids? And could you maybe just give us a bit of a rundown of the different types of products that you found? Yeah. So we found a wide variety of products. Uh, those include, of course, um, not only Juul, but once Juul showed success in the marketplace, there are now dozens of knockoff devices that are small, uh, rectangular or slightly rounded devices around the size of Juul. Because, of course, once something is so successful financially, there'll be many imitators trying to get into that market. But there's a wide diversity of stealthful vaporizers. For example, there are some that look exactly like an asthma inhaler. So imagine, you know, Johnny or Mary sitting in the back of the classroom puffing and the teacher thinks, well, they're just treating their asthma because something like a third of American kids carry an asthma inhaler to school every day in their backpack. Some of them are like pens. And in fact, they're often named things like incognito lux, which is a type of a pen that both works as a pen as well as a vaporizer. There are kinds that look like um, coffee cups you might get at Starbucks. Uh, there are kinds that look like the fob you might use to control your car. Um, there are things that look like remote controls. Um, there is a company in San Francisco that makes vaping garments. So you can actually get a hoodie and the vapor apparatus is within the drawstring around your neck. So you could be walking down the street, no one would ever notice that you had a vaporizer, but you could reach out and vape and then blow out the subtle vapor. You know, your point about cloud chasing, about the third generation devices, the very high powered devices, um, where there were contests to see how big of a cloud you could exhale I agree that, you know, Juul and its imitators are going the opposite direction. They're looking to be as inconspicuous as possible. And part of the reason for that is we think that smokers, adult smokers, know that they can't smoke when they're in the workplace. And maybe if they overtly vaped to get their nicotine dose, it would be noticed by coworkers and maybe they'd be judged. But by using an inconspicuous vapor method that nobody'd notice, perhaps, they can keep their nicotine levels high. And that kind of dual use of regular combustible products in places it's allowed and vapor products in places where you can't is a way of sustaining the addiction and making it harder for the addicted adult smoker to quit. And we've been sort of sold on the premise of most of these devices is that, you know, they're here to help smokers quit. They're a harm reduction device. They're superior to any sort of pharmaceutical product that we have for helping people to quit. That's been sort of the shtick. But your, your, your study really suggests that this is actually a whole new market for nicotine users. What do we do about this? What's the public health solution, I suppose? Yeah. So one would love to find the ability to take the two-pack-a-day Marlboro camera smoker 
and transition them over to a vapor product that, while not safe, there's nothing natural about breathing in a mist of propylene glycol, glycerin, and nicotine. Uh, on the other hand, is likely safer than combustible cigarettes, where it's the tar, the combustion product from the burning leaf, that causes emphysema and chronic bronchitis and ultimately lung cancer and heart disease. So the notion that people may switch is a good one. Now, most of the earlier generations of e-cigarettes had a low nicotine level, and the nicotine wasn't absorbed rapidly in the blood in a way that gave that saturation of the brain receptors that the committed smoker craves, that sudden rush of nicotine. Juul and these other high nicotine vaporizers seem to give a similar curve of nicotine absorption by the lungs into the bloodstream as conventional cigarettes. There's reason to think that Juul, in comparison to the high-powered big vape uh, devices, the advanced personal vaporizers, that greatly heat the liquid and put out a large plume, those produce a lot of dangerous chemicals, formaldehyde and other known carcinogens, whereas Juul and its similar have very low temperature, and they put out a subtle vapor, and they don't burn to high heat you know, the base chemicals, the glycerin and the propylene glycol. So one would say that you'd hate to see if these prove to be effective in adult smokers and transitioning them over. Now, granted, there are issues such as dual use, as I mentioned, but there are increasing anecdotal sense that these are more successful than earlier vapor products in helping committed smokers to quit. At the same time, those attributes, the high nicotine, that make them perhaps better for adult smokers make them extraordinarily addictive to young people. And we're very worried that a whole generation of teens are getting hooked on nicotine and that many of them will continue to use these products for years. It's a great business model if you happen to be Juul. But they'll also use polytobacco. They'll go over to oral products. They'll go over to combustible cigarettes, mini cigars, and the likes. And so there's a lot of worry about finding the correct public policy that enables these products to be available to the addicted adult smoker to improve their health, at the same time needing to protect young people. And most of us in public health, given that choice, would want to bend over backwards and protect young people if for no other reason than the best way to get rid of adult smoking is to prevent teenagers from becoming nicotine addictive to begin with. Because of course, nicotine addiction is almost uniquely an adolescent phenomenon. Very few people at the age of 30 or 40 say, hey, I'm going to start smoking today. It is almost always during youth rebellion. And, you know, you or I may have drunk alcohol when we were young and binged a bit when we were in high school or in college, but that didn't make us drunkards. But if we were to pick up Juul with its very potent nicotine, it would not take more than a relatively short period of time, a week or two of regular use before we became nicotine addicted and hooked on an addiction that is exceptionally potent and very difficult to break. Absolutely. Well, I guess we'll watch this space to see how Juul responds to the um, threat from the FDA that they'll be subject to greater regulation if they don't get a handle on this youth epidemic, and watch this space. Can I make one additional thing for the tape? This is an additional paper that we're putting out. There's one phenomenon that's not been discussed yet, significantly in the media or in the scholarly literature. And that is that Juul has created a nicotine arms race where all of the other e-cigarette companies 
and all of the other e-juice providers that used to sell 1% and 2% and that called 3% super high for the two-pack-a-day smoker. What we're finding is that there are hundreds of products now coming out emulating Juul's level of nicotine. So the, it isn't, even if Juul disappeared today, there's been a frame shift from lower nicotine to much higher nicotine in the marketplace in America. And we're very concerned about these 30cc bottles with chocolate or cotton candy flavored liquid. Amongst other things, a 30cc bottle of 5% nicotine solution is enough to kill an entire kindergarten class because concentrated nicotine is very dangerous. So I think increasingly we need to look beyond Juul as an example because it initiated this nicotine arms race, which is flooding the market now with exceptionally high nicotine solutions. And I do think it's urgent that the FDA in America um, constrain the volume of high nicotine to one cc or less, and ideally in enclosed pods. You know, these open bottles that a kid sees with a picture of Fruit Loops on the front and picking up and drinking it, we're, we're already getting a rash of poison control calls, but going to these high nicotine products, the kids won't make it into the emergency room, I'm afraid. Well, it's not bad enough that you die from chronic illness from smoking, and now we have acute poisonings as well. It's, you know, it's terrifying from a public health point of view. I agree, Becky. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the TC Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on SoundCloud under the BMJ Talk Medicine so you can keep up with all the latest research we publish here at Tobacco Control. You can also follow us on Twitter at TC underscore BMJ. BMJ.